Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Psychology Today, February of 2022. The person you can't part with. Make amends with yourself and get on with life by Matt James, Ph.D. Many of us know that forgiveness is a good thing. It frees us from bitterness and anger, two difficult emotions that can disrupt our physical health and hold us back. Often we're consistent about forgiving others, but forgiving ourselves is more difficult. Understanding why self-forgiveness is hard can make it easier to practice. Firstly, we tend to think of ourselves on a continuum. We begin with the past, move briefly through the present, and head toward the future. Secondly, what makes it difficult to forgive ourselves is that we register what we've done wrong, mentally and physically. Thirdly, seeing ourselves as flawed can feel vulnerable, even scary. And finally, it's easier to forgive a person whom we really love. We do tend to think of ourselves on a continuum. And with that, we have that great ability to put our not only present within context of a past, but then also project that into the future. Likewise, we can begin with what we want to be, see where we are, and see how to get there from where we've been. Uh, we can also spend our lives measuring where we are in present as well as future entirely from the past. Now they may or may not, those three may or may not represent three different ways of approaching um, who we are or at least helping to understand not only who we are, but what we want of our life. Uh, what is ahead of us, what is present, what we're going through in the present sort of context or sense. But distinctly, if you look at everything based on the past, then it is a good, probably, predictor that you're going to see so much of what's in present within that context of what's happened that you can actually alter your perspective, your narrative about the present. It's all cast within the context of, the storyline of the past. Now again, maybe you've had a great past. Maybe everything has worked out perfect according to plan. And even if it shouldn't have worked out according to plan, it turned out really, really well by a good stroke of luck, by the help and generosity of others, uh, by some efforts even on our own part to overcome struggles, difficulties, to overcome things that might represent barriers, obstacles, problems along the way. We've been successful. But perchance it didn't work out that way. Perhaps even it's been nothing but struggle from the very beginning, even before you were aware of what really struggle was, or even well before you were aware of who you really were or are or could be, uh, before self-identity, self-appraisal, self-awareness even kicks in. Bad things can happen, and especially at those earlier ages, early stages of our life when we really don't have much say, much understanding thus much say about what has happened, what could be done to correct it, how we might make modifications, changes. A lot of our experiences in life, what others even think about us, come to define us. 
And once again, it could have all been positive. We could have had great parents. We could have been surrounded by a tremendously helpful and healthy support system that loved us unconditionally. Uh, things going on culturally around us could have been ideal. Uh, people were civil. They were kind to one another. They practiced forgiveness. They were truthful. They were honest. No one stole from anyone. Sounds a bit idyllic, doesn't it? Because it is, and that's true. I think all of us realize there's no such thing as idyllic or the ideal in total in anyone's life. But the way people see themselves can equally be influenced to the negative, maybe even worse so in terms of, of uh, obstacle or impairment or impediment to overcome. Because if bad things happen, if we feel from the very beginning, and genuinely it, it could be more of a feeling than even a thought, if we feel life to be so painful, so difficult, if there was abuse, neglect, abandonment, there wasn't, again, good supports, uh, we grew up in, with some sort of disadvantage culturally, we were minimalized or in some ways made to feel very insignificant or small. We didn't have, again, socioeconomic advantage. Uh, there was poverty in the home uh, where there was uncertainty about not only having enough to survive, but possibly even, again, um, in some sort of objective, real-way threat. It's easy to imagine if you base everything on what you are now as well as the future and that kind of a past, not only will you otherwise expect that, but you could make your world that. And how do you change that? Even should you wake up one day and realize, I'm seeing the world through this lens, this filter of negativism, kind of fatalistic, pessimistic. I uh, have expected others to mistreat me. I may have even, in that, found myself gravitating toward others, even so much maybe because of the familiarity, the di dimension of familiarity, the aspect of familiarity to people who treat me that way. Maybe the world indeed hasn't changed. It's just gotten worse. How do you change who you are enough to either recognize the possibilities that you could change who you are in present, also then where you might be in future, by simply changing maybe your interpretation of the past. How do you convince those around you that you're not a failure if you have a difficult time convincing yourself? Well, the only way that you really could do that is by forgiving yourself. Now, forgiveness is certainly for all those things that's happened in past context or tense, but forgiveness is also some attitude of expectation about the future. To forgive is to not only release things that have been harmful, uh, but to also start to expect to give in advance even some modification uh, some allowance that though bad things are going to happen, indeed good things could come out of it. Or if not sort of organically, just naturally, you might be able to begin to change the future. You might be able to begin to see the future in different terms. 
Now, how do you go about forgiving? You have to do what we're doing right now. There has to be some a capability or capacity to do some analysis. There needs to be some objectivity. One of the greatest things about psychotherapy or counseling, and it doesn't have to necessarily be relegated to a clinical setting or circumstance, uh, having a good friend who will be objective, tell you the truth, uh, certainly someone who may themselves not have grown up exactly the same way you did, at least when it comes to the negatives. Someone maybe who has had a more balanced life. Maybe they have had the advantages in life. But whose fault is that? There's certainly something to be said for trying. There's certainly something to be said for doing everything we can to have our lives turn out well. There's no reason to cause undue pain or to, if we happen to be too lucky, to somehow go out there and start to sabotage ourselves. Maybe there's nothing wrong with generationally from one family generation to the next, trying to pass on not only the perspective, the paradigm, the worldview that life could be good, but all of those things that go along with it, such as being honest, being truthful, uh, unconditional positive regard, as we might say in psychology terms, uh, unconditional acceptance and love for one another, trying to help one another. Isn't that the world that we would want to live in? And maybe it's still somewhat idyllic or idealistic because things aren't always perfect like that, but what's wrong with that? But if we can surround ourselves either with a person or surround ourselves by being around a person who lives that life that way or other persons, multiple, that live their lives that way, what's wrong with that? Certainly a psychotherapist would attempt to point out the obvious, but in that they would also attempt to point out the objective. Uh, they would also, we would hope, point out where your thinking might be distorted, where it might be rooted in failures of the past, traumas of the past, as all those things I mentioned to the negative could be measured or, or somehow registered as a trauma, a traumatic sort of life event. Maybe it didn't threat to kill you in the sense that, that it would have that degree of traumatization, but all of that is working to your end. Even the expectation that there's really not much that comes out of life that it's all a matter of just living it and then dying, that's, again, fatalistic, negative. Having someone outside of yourself to be able to reflect a different perspective, should that also be one of optimism, hope, one of effort can actually translate to change, it's possible to change, one that might even agree to work with you. Uh, to help you to find change. Uh, maybe it's not a psychotherapist. Maybe it's a significant other. Maybe it's a partner, a spouse, if you still believe in such things as marriage. Maybe it's a marital relationship. But when you put two people together, 
especially as much as there are negatives in the world and, and there are the, all these things that can come up, that do come up, that represents some dimension of failure in life, isn't it fortunate that we can find somebody else to partner with so that we can make the best of those situations and circumstances? If life is really a matter of one day at a time and then in the end all of us die and you never really leave with any more than you come with, even if you see that in the most neutral, benign of terms, there's no reason you can't make that as enjoyable as possible. And surrounding yourself with people who share that paradigm can help you to make those changes. But to get there, you have to forgive yourself if you're measuring yourself in some sort of judgmental way as a failure. And should you have been surrounded by individuals who otherwise communicated something along that same line, then you would have to forgive them. But you would have to see it in such terms to be able to do that. So, how you see your past, present, and future does affect your ability to not only forgive yourself, but how you can change the trajectory of your life, especially if it's not going quite the way you would want it to, or if it's leaning a bit more toward the negatives, or there's a bit more that you could see that could be done to add benefit, add advantage to your life and the people around you. As much, too, we said earlier, that we register what we've done wrong mentally and physically, there's something even more implicit in all of us. It's called hedonism. The hedonic system that if we don't apply any sort of logic, reasoning, objective thinking, uh, this hypothetico-deductive model that I'm trying to capture, the ability to analyze, do some research, to give yourself some feedback, to seek at least, at best, objective feedback, maybe even objective feedback sprinkled with positive, optimistic sort of perspective. But on a feelings level, alone, the hedonic system, hedonism, basically is encouraging of things that feel good and discouraging of things that feel bad. But what if in pursuit of something that ultimately is not only feeling good, but in the end is even better than an immediate gratification, <laughs> that feel-good sort of experience, what if you have to put off some of the feel-good to get to the even better? And a lot of life is like that. Certainly you should enjoy it while it's happening, in the moment. That's another case for living in the present. But at the same time, Hedonism, if it means that the pain, and really even good things are painful. Growth, for instance, always has a learning experience, but learning experiences aren't always pleasurable. Oftentimes they include mistakes, errors, uh, delayed gratification, maybe denial of gratification. But if you're so programmed to give up so quickly, if you don't immediately receive gratification, you're probably not going to keep trying. You may not expend much energy at all thinking through it. Or if it's too painful, if it has all those trauma dimensions I mentioned a moment ago, it may be so painful you don't even want to think about it anymore. You don't want to deal with it anymore. And you so, sort of put that somewhere aside. 
So common sense would say if you can't really process it, if you can't get past the hurt to even analyze it, if you can't afford to be reminded of the pain lest in feeling it again it causes you to become more afraid, more anxious, feel like more of a failure, we call that learned helplessness, and again psychological sort of terminology, you're probably not going to get past it. Which means all that growth, all that development, all that learning, that life, really in a characteristic way, that's what life is all about. You're not going to get then the overcoming, that sensation, that success of finding an answer. And maybe one even better than the one you have. Certainly the one you have might work, but there may be one even better. Certainly the life you have is life that's better than death, but it could be better. And as I said a moment ago, what's wrong with trying to make it better? What's wrong with sharing ideas? What's wrong with working together with others so that all of our lives could be better? And for me, of course, the answer is nothing. And as that psychological counselor, or my role in life of providing that counseling, I remind individuals of that. You have to forgive yourself first. You have to certainly work on forgiving others so you can change the script, the narrative of your life. But you have to get past those feelings that also go along with mistakes, making errors, that implicitly on a biochemical, organic, hedonic sort of basis, pleasure-pain sort of dimension, tell us that somehow if it hurts, it's wrong, and you should avoid it at all costs. You may have some thought attached to that, but it's not clear thought. And, again, as we might call it psychologically, that kind of emotional thinking is really not the kind of thinking that helps us to learn, to overcome, to problem solve. And much of psychology, psychological counseling is about that. Again, setting down not only with someone who's objective, but someone who can help you process and sort through, come up with solutions and answers to problems. Do it in a friendly way, with that positive regard. Not only for you, but for the world around you, for the world we share. Sharing a knowledge base, one built upon not only education, but also experience and psychologists, psychological counselors, we too have not only education and training so that we know the best models, paradigms, ways to approach life, but we have a, a lot of experience helping people and also personally ourselves because of, for the sake of, because of integrity, because we've applied the same things to our lives. We practice what we preach. And if you should find someone who professes to be good at helping others, but doesn't practice what they preach, you might want to watch out. There's something maybe not so right about that. I want to take a moment and remind our listeners that you're listening to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. And we're talking about forgiveness on today's podcast. We've looked at that past, present, future continuum. 
and how we must in some ways apply an attitude, not only an understanding, but an attitude of release, which we'll call forgiveness for ourselves as well as the people around us. We must overcome all of those biases from the past. I didn't use the term bitterness or didn't mention bitterness or being embittered. But when we're bitter or when we don't forgive, we cause ourselves to be stuck. It's fixation. We're preoccupied with not only the one incident, but usually in terms of the past, depending on where you are in your life, that there can be a lot of those experiences that can have accumulated over the years. We also mentioned that more than even that sort of cognitive exercise, there's just the base physiology, the hedonic system. If it hurts, and it hurts bad enough, that's going to be discouraging in and of itself. Not only to do something remotely close to what we've done before, even if it is toward an end of something we need very much or we see as very useful, but if we avoid it altogether or if we settle for the lesser, then in the end that's all we're going to get is what we either settle for or if we avoid it altogether and we don't apply any sort of logic reasoning. We don't look to maybe alter or modify our paradigms. We don't look for knowledge. We don't look for the objective perspective so that we can apply the knowledge, not in the personal bias, particularly if it's one built upon low self-esteem, as as I've called it already in, in the podcast today, that failure identity. It becomes part of our personality. And I should have said this a moment ago, but when it happens during those really critical developmental years, critical to the formation of personality, it really does become part of who you are. It becomes characteristic of how you look at your life and how you engage in life. And people who are basically engaged or disengaged, I could say maybe even better, by avoidance or a pattern of avoidance really don't, doesn't, do not get very far. They don't gain much. Uh, they may have to rely on others to do for them, which is not wrong for someone else to help, but you miss that chance of that continued development, actualization of who you are. And the ultimate self-esteem is certainly not only predicate upon what you could do, but you got to go out and test it. you got to find out by doing, by learning, which in and of itself is probably the greatest way to validate who you are. Now, presuming that we can get past either of those... We have to admit that even a conversation with someone, such as we're having now via the podcast, and that's why we do the podcast. The podcasts are an attempt with hope that we may be able to share a perspective. You're not talking directly to me. I'm more talking to you, but I'm trying to make it relevant, and I'm trying to engage in some sort of a thought-based way opening you up to give some consideration, do some self-analysis, self-appraisal. But if you're too afraid or too vulnerable, or maybe because you're too sensitive, and can't even begin to look at yourself as flawed, you're not going to do a self-analysis. You're not going to even entertain this conversation. For those of you out there in podcast land or who are listening to this podcast right now, even so, if you weren't able to go as far as we've gone, 
Which really is to say, this is you that has to initiate the change. This is you that has to admit that you have a mistake, an error going on in the way that you look at yourself that needs to be changed, and maybe the way you look at life. Even so, if you weren't willing to take a look at your past and, and do some self-appraisal assessment to see if maybe there's some truth to that, that may be in some self-fulfilling against psychology, self-fulfilling sort of way with self-fulfillment, self-fulfilling prophecy as, as kind of guiding and directing. You're expecting it, so you're getting it kind of way of looking at it. You have turned the podcast off by now. But that's the good news. You have it. So it tells me that those that are still listening, that are with me now, are willing to take a look at themselves. Psychotherapy, counseling, psychological counseling can be a very difficult thing if you're overly sensitive. And should you believe that the world judges you in that same sort of critical way as with negative, the failure identity, the fear of failure, the fear that you're not going to be able to come up with an answer or if you've only known or seemed to have only known failure or felt pain in your life or worse yet, others have always treated you in such a way that it's harmed you and hurt you, why would you expect that you could go sit down with someone such as myself and that they would do anything different? But that's the whole point as well. Not only listening to the podcast, getting to this point in our discussion, but if you will engage yourself, subject yourself to that process of sitting down with somebody else, someone you don't know, but it's safe. I mean, there's a lot of assurances that go with that. There's all sorts of ethical considerations and, and with that legal considerations. It's our job not to harm you. It's our job to assist and help. Now, is that the only reason we're doing it? Because it's our job? No. Most individuals who do what I do for a profession want to really help people. But all that's to your advantage. It's a safe place. There's confidentiality. There's a code and standard of ethics and conduct that goes into it. But even so, if you can't sit down with someone with all of that to your advantage, your favor, the likelihood of opening up to someone else is probably not as great or greatly reduced. And with that, if you open up to anyone, unfortunately, you're going to probably open up to those you might feel more comfortable with. But if... The comfort that you have, the familiarity you have is rooted in a lot of really unhealthy people or a support system growing up that was characteristically negative, fatalistic, critical, blaming, doubting, fatalistic, pessimistic, all of those things that we've spoken of in today's podcast, you're probably going to open up to the wrong person. But you have to get past that fear of exposure. And finally, it's easier to forgive a person whom we really love. <laughs> Short version of the entire podcast. You have to love yourself. And what does that mean? You have to be able to admit when you've made a mistake. With that, be willing to accept all people make mistakes and also apply forgiveness. Yes, it is an attitude. It's an exercise, mentally, thoughts, cognitive operation. 
It's all part of growing. If you can't look at the error, analyze it for what it really is, learn from it, come up with a, a modification, uh, a different way of doing it, and then go out and try again, you're not going to grow. You're, you're probably not going to solve the problem. But it's also a feeling. Love is feelings. And the good news is, kind of getting back to the hedonic system, we are pro-social creatures. Our base nature is to love. We appreciate that unconditional support. We appreciate the security that that brings. We appreciate the intimacy that we can have with individuals that do not judge us, at least not with the intention of somehow harming us lessening our stature, not only with them, others, but ourselves, tearing us down, but rather build us up. <laughs> love yourself. You have to be able to, again, in some measure, manner, or way, step at least sufficiently outside of who you are, who you've been, so that you can begin to have internal dialogues. Talking to a psychotherapist is great. Having a family, friends, that have found these answers or maybe just identifying people who are positive people and surrounding yourselves with them, being with them as much as possible. It's all good. But if you don't change how you talk to yourself, if you don't begin to change that dimension of how you love yourself, and love is a biochemical thing. <laughs> There's all kinds of good neurotransmitters that go along with that. Talk about, again, that pleasure-pain. That's the ultimate in pleasure. Self-love. Loving others, but self-love. Because if you don't love yourself, some might even question whether you have that capability of loving other people. So when it comes back to this article, the person you can't part with, make amends with yourself and get on with life, by Matt James, Psychology Today, the 2022 edition. It is true, as even Matt James quotes or points out, and I quote, we cannot quit, divorce, or walk away. Loving and appreciating the self is key. And that's what we're about again on the podcast, Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. I hope that you will take this and this opportunity a moment to not only forgive yourself, change the way you look at the world around you, but ultimately, in the end, not only then out of that, love yourself better, but be able to better love others. I also hope that you'll come back and join us again for our next podcast, Word with Dr. Michael David Clay.